college, if you have questions on that, y'all feel free to ask, and it'd be great. Um, hey, a couple of just real quick. The Wilsons. Woo! Natalie and Ross, stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Yes. Welcome. Welcome home. They drove all the way from Lubbock, Texas this morning to get here for church, right? No, seriously, we're so good to see you guys. We miss y'all terribly. All right. Hey, I'm going to dive in this morning uh, just for time's sake, make sure we get everything uh, covered. We want to cover. Uh, we've been spending the last, let's do this, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 17. We're just going to, this is kind of the, this has been the heart of where we've been for the last couple of weeks. And again, this week, and who knows, maybe even next week. So I encourage you to read it this week for yourself. We're going to start chapter 1, verse 17 of Ephesians, go all the way to chapter 2, verse 10. All ready? On a mark, get set, let's go. I keep asking the God, and just remember, I keep asking continually, nonstop, Paul praying, okay? I keep asking without ceasing that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may gift you with the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation so that you may know him better. Some verses say fully. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you to the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and three, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Hey, that power I'm talking about is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Verse chapter two, verse one, as for you, you were idiots and worthless deadbeats in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you follow the ways of this world and you follow the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. We were all gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature with no boundaries. We were following its desires and its thoughts like the rest. We were by nature, we were objects deserving wrath, but because of his great love for us. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead beats and transgressions. It is by grace. Don't forget, it is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ. And God seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus for don't forget, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, silly people, is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work, silly people, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I know your Bible didn't say silly people of mine did, okay? No, seriously. So we're getting in this context, right? We're getting this context here of, of Paul speaking 
into the people something that he desired for them to know that would ultimately, in my opinion, produce hope and the expectation of God moving in their life. You see, the thing I wanted this, this, this last couple of weeks, I've been really aware of, of, of levels of expectation that each of us in our life, we are really, really, really good at putting expectations on ourselves. And we're really good at receiving expectations from other people. And then in turn, we feel the weight from those expectations, right? Like in our, in our home, it's one of those things that Randall will come and she'll, you know, she'll say, if you loved me, right? If you loved me, and then she gives some sentence, right? It's like this guilt trip. It's an expectation produced from a guilt trip, hoping that I will do something. Or if I come home Sunday and say, listen, I've been working hard all day for you. The least you can do for me is whatever it may be, right? And I am literally going to put this expectation on her, right? Expecting her to recognize how hard I've worked, that my life is so much harder than hers, right, men? And so I I have this whole thing. No, seriously, no, give me that we put these expectations, even they're funny, these guilt trips, and all this kind of stuff on people. And, and I grew up, you know, I think about one story that's not that great of a story, but it's like a it's like a memory that's just stamped onto my brain about this kind of stuff as we go to my grandparents' house. You know, when you go to your grandparents' house and, you know, the, the, unless you're just like really, really having a great time, there comes a point where you know it's time to leave. Right. You just know it's like it's time. Right. And so whenever that would happen to my grandparents, I would watch and I'd kind of look at my dad. I give my dad the eye, you know, the eye I'm talking about, like, you know, that kind of. All right. And then my or I guess my issue is how to work. I would give the eye to my mom and then my mom who had the power. Right. My mom would give the eye to my dad that look and my dad would go. Ooh, he kind of like that. It's like the weight of expectation fall, fell on him. He and he had to be the bad guy. And the bad guy was this. Hey, you know, mom, dad had a great time, but about time for us to start wrapping the trip up. And, and every time my dad, my, my grandpa, oh, you have to leave already, huh? <laughs> right? And it was just like that. And my dad just go, uh, we'll stay just a little bit longer. I'm like, no, <laughs> right? But it's that whole thing. Like, I literally I just had this. I can just hear my grandpa, his face and his voice because there was that expectation in the moment. Because for our lives, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we all live under the weight of expectation. We live under, and usually that weight comes from outside. Someone puts it on us, and then we receive it, right? We embrace it. We take hold of it, and what does it do? It begins to weigh us down in life. It begins to weigh us down. It begins to become oppressive. And weighty. And the unfortunate reality for each of us is that that same expectation is true in our walk with Jesus. If we're really honest, that we live what I call this massive ball of weight of expectation in our relationship with Jesus. Listen, I've been a Christian now for over 27 years. I'm only 28, right? I came to Christ at one. No, when I was 27 years old, right? Uh, 27, excuse me, 27 years, I have been a Christian and I have heard so many sermons and messages at church. And if I'm honest, and if you're honest with yourself, I would say so many of those messages, what I took away 
what I took away from that message was that I suck as a Christian. That's how I felt. I'm just using that word. That's how I felt, right? I'm an awful Christian, and if I would just do this, then I would be a good Christian and be in the good graces of Jesus again. And so for 27 years, I would live under the weight of something someone told me. And here's the deal. I would receive it. I would receive it with joy. I'm like, oh, this is, I don't like myself. And if I'll just do this, maybe I'll like myself and so will God. And so I would give myself that week to work really hard to make that thing happen. And the next week I would come in and the preacher would say, all right, this week you're a terrible Christian because of this. And now just do this. And so for 27 years, listen, the greatest gift of those of you who've come to Christ later in life is you carry less baggage of church. Right. Because there are lots of baggage that you carry from church people and from pastors and churches. So will you shimmer me for a second? I'm just going to kind of go stream of consciousness. It's going to be different than the first service. And I'm going to create at least the last, probably the last four and a half years of weight that maybe I have birthed on your shoulders as your preacher at Vintage. Are you ready for it? Get ready. This is going to put your belt on for this one, okay? All right. Here we go. So you're a Christian. That means if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to pray. You've got to pray, read your Bible, and worship every day. Now, if you read the autobiographies, they tell you it's got to be at least six hours to be effective. Two, two, and two. But if you start at 30 minutes a day or even five minutes, that's okay. But here's the goal that you're trying to attain to if you're going to be a good Christian. And if you don't have your quiet time today, well, probably you're going to feel guilty and it's going to make your day go bad. So be sure that you spend time with Jesus so he'll be happy enough with you to bless you so it's a good day and work isn't bad and your relationship with your spouse isn't bad and your relationship with your kids isn't bad because if you don't spend time with Jesus, it's probably going to be a bad day. But listen, in your relationship with Jesus, you're going to find that there are things he's going to call you to do. Your priority in that relationship is to spend time with your spouse. They are your primary relationship. So make sure you date your spouse. Make sure you spend time with your spouse. Make sure that that she, he or she is the primary person you're giving your energy to but don't forget about your children your children are vitally important to your life they are your secondary call like third call jesus is the obvious then there obviously is there's your spouse and then there's your kids and make sure you spend enough time with your kids make sure you invest into your kids you need to pray with them every day you need to disciple your children if they if you don't invest into them they're going to probably die and go to hell and lose their salvation and it's going to be your fault because you haven't given enough time and relationship with Jesus to them. So be sure that you're doing that and be really careful about public school. That's where Satan lives, right? Be careful about, be careful about public school, right? Because Satan lives there, so send them to Christian school. And then all of a sudden you get there and realize, man, Satan lives there too because every bad, bad, bad kid went to Christian school to get saved, right? When the parents, that's the last bet, right? So that's not going to work either. So you better send them to home, right? Homeschool them and bring them home because then you can spend all day with them and disciple them and shape them into exactly who you want them to be. But make sure
sure you don't forget about your neighbors around you, right? Not enough to live inside the four walls. Get outside the four walls. Love your neighbors. Listen, if you don't live for Jesus with your neighbors, they're going to die and go to hell too. So make sure you're spending time with them. Make sure you're investing into them. They're a primary call of your life. And make listen, you are the pastor of your entire neighborhood, right? The, their salvation lands and depends on you. You need to spend time with them. You need to live incarnationally with them, live missionally with them, have a beer with them, but don't drink too much with them, right? Make sure you're a good witness to them, right? On down the line. But listen, it's not just enough to live for your neighbors. You're also part of a family called Vintage 242 Church. So make sure that when we gather, you're with us. You've heard the story, right? If you take one coal and you take it out of the fire, it comes to a dying ember, but put it back into the fire and you'll start living for Jesus again, right? So make sure you're part of the fire and you're gathering together in worship. But it's not enough just to show up on Sunday morning, lift your hands and worship. You have to serve in the children, serve in hospital. You have to do something to serve, right? Because if you don't serve, God's going to take your gift away. It's just how it works, right? It's, it's not, it's revocable, right? So make sure you're serving and giving your life away and giving your love to Jesus at church. Listen, make sure you do that. Make sure you're giving an offering and make sure you do everything that you can here. But listen, it's not, you can't just live for yourself there. So make sure that you're in a discipleship relationship, right? You need to be being discipled. You need to have a Paul. You're a Timothy. So make sure that someone's investing in you so that you can grow spiritually. But don't be selfish. If you're being discipled and receiving, then you have to disciple other people and give your life away. So take two or three people and just begin investing into their life. But listen, let's be more like Jesus. Get 12, right? Get 12 and give everything. If Jesus is the model, then you have to do what he did. So take 12 people and invest yourself. But it's not just enough to disciple. You also have to be part of an accountability group, right? Someone, because listen, you might fall into sin and someone doesn't know what's going on in your life, you're going to fall into sin. So you better get an accountability group, accountability partner, but let's don't forget about the orphans and the widows, right? Because listen, there are orphans all over the world and God wants you to take care of that. So you need to adopt them. Right? And listen, let's just it's not just enough to adopt from next door. That's easy. What about the most marginalized and the least hopeful living in third world countries? And listen, if every Christian would just adopt an orphan, then all the orphans would be gone and we'd have they'd be in homes. So take two or three, right? Take two or three, right? And get into your heart. You're not, you're not liking this very much, are you? Take the orphans and do all the stuff, right? But don't forget about the poor. We need to make sure you're giving money to the poor and you're actually going. So make sure you leave this country and go somewhere. Why? So you can have a real heart for the poor having walked in their shoes because that's the real poor living in. So make sure you're going. But don't forget, man, children are dying every day. So go build wells. Dirty water is the main reason children are dying today. So make sure you're giving money and time to this. But don't forget about, I mean, sex trafficking. Right? Sex trafficking is huge today. So we've got to be aware there's so many women and men caught in this. Right? This is not funny, but it's true. We hear all this stuff, right? So you need to make sure you're giving your time and your energy. This is a priority. You're hearing the word priority a lot, right? This is a priority. But listen again. Listen. You can go overseas all day long, but if you don't come back and live here, listen, we have needy people here too. So make sure that you're giving your life away to the poor and needy in our area. Now, I, that's the last four and a half years of all of my sermons, right? Every single one of those are important. Every single one of those are vital. But what that creates, if I did literally all of that in one sitting, what would happen? 
weight of expectation that if I don't fulfill this, then I'm not a good Christian and God's not happy with me. And so all of us live in some conviction, some live in condemnation. We live in guilt. We live with this weight of never measuring it up because we have this idea, this idea that it all depends on me. All these things, I feel the weight of, I need to make them happen as if it all depends on me. And the result of this is we never feel, as never feel, right? Never feel as if we measure up, never measure up to who God wants us to be. We're not a good Christian. And so what happens, and all of you know people like this, and maybe it's yourself, you just put your hands up one day and say, I can't do this. You may not walk away from Jesus, but you sure stop trying because it's just too hard. How could I actually do this? How could I actually live up to this? How can I measure up to this? In fact, we were, you know, Randall was talking about for, for, for her. She, she sits there and she looks at Pinterest, right? And she looks at Pinterest and there's all these things on Pinterest. She's like, if I could just do that, right? And she's like, oh, I'm terrible because of it, right? I can't do this. And I'm like, oh, I'm really just nothing. My house is so ugly, Right. And we live in that same tension so often in our spiritual life. We look at someone else. Listen, let me tell you something. Every okay, I guess that many, many. And I could I think I could say every author who's ever written a spiritual book about something that they have understanding about. They are talking about something usually that they know here, but have not fleshed out here. They're talking about kind of something over here. I, I sat with a, I'm not going to know who it is. I sat with an author who was well known. This is about, about six months ago. And I sat with him as I watched his life implode around him. And I read his books. And I read his books. He had all the answers in his books. And so even in that, we read these books of these saints and these men and women of God. But to me, I thought before, like we read about all these great men and women of God and we look behind the curtain and for so many of them, there's brokenness and there's sin and there's condemnation and there's guilt. And so we all live in this weight of unmet expectations, feeling guilty because this great ball of expectation is weighing down on me. And I reach the point with Jesus sometimes I just go, oh, I just can't do it anymore. And so we put our hands up and sometimes we walk, sometimes we just close our eyes. Because if you can't see it, it's not real. And we just do that. And I believe that Paul is speaking here in Ephesians. He's not necessarily naming specifically this great ball of expectation. But I've, I believe the message that he's speaking into their lives is specifically a message of hope. He's speaking a message of hope, and he's saying, listen, I recognize the life that you're living. I recognize the weight. I recognize the tension. I recognize the oppression, right, the weight from the outside. I recognize all of these things that you're feeling and all these, these voices that you hear. I recognize all of those things. But I want to share something with you that births hope. We sang about this morning that let hope rise. That hope would rise inside of them. All right. So let's kind of dive into some of these things that I believe that we can see uh, from, from what Paul's getting at here for the church, of, the church uh, at Ephesus. So 
So again, starting in verse 17 through 19, he prays and asks God for a few specific things. I want you to hear this. This is kind of the phrase of the morning. It's things the Ephesians can expect from God. Okay? Things that the Ephesians, things that Christians, followers of Jesus can expect from God, as in receiving from him. Okay? So the first thing he prays for, he prays, we looked at it last week, he prays for wisdom in verse 17, wisdom and revelation to know God, right? He's praying, saying, you can't produce wisdom and revelation in your own strength. I'm praying to God. Listen, I'm praying to God and asking God to pour out wisdom and revelation. Wisdom, right? Applied knowledge. We know Jesus. We know about him. We need wisdom, God. How do we apply what we know to our actual lives so we can live victoriously over sin and live victorious in our life, right? So he's praying, God, give them wisdom. He prays it nonstop without ceasing every day for them, praying for wisdom and revelation. Why? So they can know God fully. We said last week, not that you don't know God. Like I know God as fully as I can today. I blow into my balloon today. It's completely full, but I blow into it again tomorrow. It gets bigger, but it's just more full, right? He's doing that every day. We may know him fully. The second thing we see him praying for is that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to know three things, right? So the eyes of our heart, for them, the heart is in the center of life. It's like the command center, right? Everything flowed from the heart, their, their emotions and their knowledge. Everything flowed from the heart. So he's saying, he's praying, God, would you enlighten the command center of their life? That all of a sudden, boom, that they would be enlightened, number one, to hope. The hope that he has called us to live in. The hope of the calling, right? Calling is two, the hope of calling is twofold, right? Number one, it's Oh, God, I, I hope, I believe, I hear you calling me, right? I hear you in relationship calling to me. I'm not alone. The second hope to calling is that I have a calling and a purpose in my life. You see the, you see the, the difference between the two? I, I'm called by God into relationship. I have a calling that he's calling me to for purpose and for meaning of life, right? I'm an expression of obedience. So, so he's saying, God, enlighten them. Enlighten them. Give them an aha moment, an awakening. second thing he prays for is an inheritance. That they'd be enlightened to know our inheritance as children of God. That everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to us. We are now children of God, heirs of God. You understand this language, right? So, hey, Jesus died and he left us a big inheritance. But he just came back to life and said, you can still have it, right? It's awesome. He died, left us an inheritance and said, he came back to life and said, but you can still keep it. In fact, we'll just share it together, Fantastic. We have an inheritance, right? A beautiful inheritance of being children living God's huge. And the third thing he prays for, they would be enlightened to know God's power in us and through us. What type of power is that? Well, Paul reminds him, says, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Oh, that power. Who's it belong to? It belongs to you. I just want to hear you say it again, right? That's awesome. That power belongs to me. It resides in me. Yes, power to do the things, the miracles that Jesus did, and power to live victoriously in our lives. And so he's praying for these things. And what I want you to hear in this is, is, is this point. God is being asked by Paul. God is being asked by Paul to intervene in their lives. Paul's praying and saying, God, 
Would you intervene? He is asking God, would you continue to pursue the ones that you love by blessing them with what they need to succeed in life? He's coming and saying, God, you've already blessed them. Would you continually bless them with wisdom, revelation, and the enlightenment to the, to the hope and to the inheritance and to the power that belongs to them, right? He's putting the onus back on God saying, God, we need you. God, would you intervene? See, herein lies an expectation of Paul. There's an expectation of Paul, and here it is it's on the screen. He expected God to give them what they needed in life, but could not produce in their own strength. He expected God to give them, to move on their behalf, to give them what they needed in life, but could not produce in their own strength. What could they not produce? Hear this, because everything you try to flesh out every day. He can't, they cannot produce wisdom. They need help. They can't produce revelation. They need God to do it. They can't get a full knowledge of God in their own strength. They need God to make that happen. They can't produce this own, their own knowledge of hope and their calling. They need God to produce it. They can't produce an awareness of their inheritance as children of God. God had to do that. They could not produce an understanding or even produce the power of God in them to live victoriously over sin and to, to have power, over, and power to do miracles in life. And so what we find is this. Paul coming and saying, guys, you can't. Only God can. You're in need. Only he can meet your need. But how can God do this? Well, Paul reminds us, I want to go ahead and remind you, how can this be? Well, I just want to remind you, verse 23, because Jesus is reigning and has rule and authority over all things. And he has taken his place as head over the entire body. He basically comes and says, listen, don't forget who you are. You're the body. But he is the head. He's on top. He's the one who is Lord. He reigns. He rules. He conquers. He is Lord over all things. He's creating. Listen, have you ever, has that ever happened to you? Like you create an awakening of like, oh, that person is really that much better than I am at something, right? You know what I'm talking about? I can't think of a good analogy, but like there's something you're good at, but then you find someone who's that much better than you. And you're like, oh, you should probably be doing this, not me. Right. Like I, I never forget. I lived in, in, in Athens. I lived with uh, three other guitar players and I would sit down. I start playing my guitar, my G's and my C's and my D's. Right. And there's a guy named Kevin Mann. Some of you know him. He led worship and he was the one of the best guitarists I know. And he would sit in his room, and start playing. I go, G. Oh, hey, I'm just letting him play all day long. Right. Because I was a little embarrassed by my inability. Right. That's your thing to do. Jesus is that much higher he is head. He's creating this perspective of who Jesus is. So which then begs the question, so if he really is that high and that great, why? Why would God do this? Why would God give us the, the, the gift of wisdom and revelation? Listen, the greatest thing that can ever happen in life is for us to recognize we're not that great. Right? And he is that much higher I mean, we really are the center of our own world, the center of our own story, right? We really do. That's why we get so, listen, if you're easily offended, it means you think that you're awesome. If you get easily angered, it means because how dare someone do that to you? 
So if you're easily angered, right, quick to anger, if, you're, if, you, if, you're, if you feel, very, feel, feel attacked very easily, it's because you have a too high view of self, okay? And so, so there's this whole idea going on, and, and, and so you get this nature, and God is he's high, he's exalted, and we go, oh, why would you do this? Why would he pour himself out? And herein lies, again, the heart of Paul's message in Ephesians. God did not pour himself out because we're great. He did not pour himself out because we earned it. He didn't pour himself out because the Israelites had fulfilled every expectation that he had on them. He pours himself out simply because he loves us. He pours himself out because he just does. He chooses to, saying, you didn't deserve it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it without condition because I love you. And so we step into Ephesians chapter 2, 1, and 1 through 3, and says, let's talk about our memory. Let's, let's create a memory here, right? Let's create a memory. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, let's create a memory. What's that memory, Paul? Remember when you were worthless and dead in your sin. And you had nothing to offer God. Every primary theological uh, vein today, minus Catholicism, believes in total depravity of man. Which basically means men and women are depraved. There's nothing good in them. There's no life in them. There's no such thing as yin and yang. There's no such thing, biblically speaking, that in man, there in humanity, there's nothing good. There's nothing good, right? We were dead, totally depraved in our sin, but chapter verse four begins the message. But because of his great love, we were made alive in and through Christ because of his great love, because of his movement, because of his propulsion, him moving himself. We were made alive in and through Christ. It goes on to say it is by grace we have been saved. Steve, what is grace? It's. Grace is his kindness expressed to us in Christ when there was nothing in us that deserved it. It is by grace. What does that mean? It means God, Jesus came to earth. He died out of his kindness, even though you didn't do anything to earn it, right? He calls. He pursues. And all that we can do is respond. So Paul comes and reminds them, you were dead in your sin and Jesus moved because of his love. And Paul's point is just as you could not save yourself, you needed Jesus to rescue you. Hear this. If Jesus had to come and save you and rescue because you couldn't do it yourself, so too you cannot live your spiritual life and fulfill any expectation that God has by yourself. Basically, he's saying this. If you needed Jesus this before to save you, you will need him again today to empower you. If you could not save yourself in your own strength, then surely you cannot live for Jesus in your own strength. You need him today. You, just as you needed him to save you, you need his power to empower you and his wisdom and his revelation that you cannot create in your own strength. So if you're living, listen. If you're living life disconnected from Jesus, then unfortunately, you're not living a very good life. Because you don't have the power or the ability to do all the things, listen, that you were ultimately designed and created for and to do in Christ. He's coming and speaking this message saying, listen, 
And the comparison Paul's making is between who they were, right? They were a part from Christ's intervention, dead in sin with nothing good in them. But now they are in Christ. And so when, why is it so important to recognize where someone comes from? Why is it so important to, to paint a picture of someone's history? Because it gives us perspective on who they were, how they got to where they are today, right? And that defines who they are. So he says, if, if, if you could not do this, then then you can't do this today in your own strength. And so it fills us with hope because as we look at the Ephesian story, if, Je- listen, if Jesus intervened once, then surely he will intervene again and again and again and again and again. If he intervened in our moment of great need, and we didn't earn it. So, too, he will intervene today, even when we haven't fulfilled and met the great ball of expectations that rests on our shoulders every day and cause us to shut down. If he, could, if he needed him then, then by God, we need him now. And he's saying and he and Paul saying, and that's the point. That's the message of hope. Because he wants to pour himself out, right? It fills us with hope. If he intervened once when we were fallen, how much more will he intervene now that we're in relationship with him? It's a beautiful picture of his intervention. Paul looked at the Ephesians. He looks and sees what they need in first in chapter one, like sixteen through whatever it was, twenty-three. And he comes back and he reminds them of hey, listen. You're trying in your own strength to fulfill this great ball of expectation. You can't do it. You need Jesus' strength. So he says, here's what you can expect from God. And he lays it out. Why does he name these things they can expect? Number one, he wants them to know how much he loves them. Paul comes and says, listen, continuously, day in and day out, without ceasing, I pray for you. And you're like, oh, you must love me. Well, going to Lucas and Lucas I pray for you without ceasing every day. I love you, and I'll, I pray for God's intervention in everything in your life. Lucas would go, he must really love me, right? He must like me. If he's spending that much time investing in me and pulling, I pray without ceasing for you, right? He's expressing his love, but more importantly than that, he's saying it so they would know. Listen, this is important. Don't miss this. He's saying it so they would know what to be on the lookout for and what to be expecting. Because if you know what to be on the lookout for, if you know what to be expecting, it fills you with hope because you know that it's coming. So Anna Catherine, one of her favorite things to do is either to vox me, right, which is this walkie-talkie app on your iPhone, to vox me or to text me. Text me makes more sense to us, okay? Or she'll vox me or she'll text me. And in her text, she'll say, Daddy, where are you? Every time. I can just read my text. Daddy, where are you? And I'll tell her why. And she's like, when are you coming home? <laughs> right? And I said, I will be home in 20 minutes. What are we going to do when you get here? And without fail, I'll usually say, if I can, we're going to play. You know, her response back is yippee. Literally every time it's yippee with three or depending on how bad her day or how mean her mom's been. Just kidding. Right. Ever how, how long a day it's been. It's how many exclamation points are at the end of the yippee. Right. Because there's something with anticipation, something about excitement, something that hopes still this young age. She's really excited about dad coming home and spending time with her. Right. And so she actually said the same thing. They both will say it. They both like yippee. And literally I will pull up in the cul-de-sac and they can see me 
rainy, and if it's warm enough or it's not raining, they'll run out. Even if it's cold, sometimes they'll still run out, and they'll literally open the door and drag me out of the car because they're so filled with anticipation, with expectation and excitement and hope that I'm going to play with them. And so the greatest thing I can do is to give them a message of anticipation and of expectation so they have a yippee to say. And the reality for us is Paul speaking to the Ephesians saying, I want to give you a hope and an anticipation and expectation so that every day when you get before the Lord, you can go, yippee, God, this is who you are. You pour out a spirit of wisdom, a revelation. You want me to know you fully. You're invested in a relationship to make it happen. You're going to enlighten my heart, God, that I may know the hope of my calling, God, that I may know my inheritance I, that I have as, a, as one in the family of God, and that I have power, God, that overwhelms me. I have the same power in me that raised Jesus from the dead. How dare I ever think I'm incapable of doing anything wonderful? Jesus, it's not because of me. I got the ball of expectation. It's too heavy for me. But you come, that I might have wisdom and revelation. God, may they live victorious in life. Yippee! There's this nature of Paul speaking in this message of hope, a message of expectation, of literally saying, it is okay, listen, it is okay, Ephesians, if you live in expectation of wisdom when you need it, of revelation when you need the interrupting presence of God to awaken you. It's okay to live in expectation, looking out the window, waiting for Father to come with an enlightenment of your inheritance in Christ. It's okay for you to stand there at the door and look and wait for the inheritance that you have as a saint of God, of the power that belongs to you. It's good to sit there and wait and expect and to hope for you to have a full knowledge of who Jesus is. You don't have to be defined by the weight of expectation. You don't have to put your hands up. You don't have to close your eyes anymore. No, it's okay for you to live in expectation of God awakening us to the hope that we have in him. You see, God this week was speaking specifically into the nature of what we struggle with. That all the things that we come up against and the things we wrestle with and the expectations that weigh us down. And I feel like he was speaking, saying, Steve, I want you to tell them that they can expect me to move because I'm invested into their life. In fact, they're my greatest investment. And they all understand how investments work. Your greatest investment is the thing that you hold your prized possession is the thing you put your most energy in. Making sure it's okay. Making sure... Whether it's a motorcycle or a car or a boat or a book or somebody or something. You know what I'm getting at, right? And so the three takeaways I want you to have this morning in this message is it's a message of hope. It's in our overload of expectations and all this stuff. Don't ever forget that God is invested. Relationships for Jesus are a two-way street. And our relationship with God is this way, right? Our relationships we have in life, our relationship with Jesus is a two-way street. There's what we give, and then there's what we receive. But here's the thing I want you to recognize. The fact is, he has more invested into our relationship than we have invested into our relationship with him. Look at the elements over here of communion. Use as an example. Body broken. Blood poured out. It's his investment into us. 
He is more invested into us. Therefore, he is moving in our lives, which leads to the second thing, our second takeaway. God intervenes. God intervenes. I live in hope every day. We can live in hope every day, knowing in all circumstances, even though, remember where we came from, even though we don't deserve it, even though we don't deserve it, God will intervene to bring salvation. He did it once and he will do it again and again and again and again. How much more, now that we are in relationship with him, will he intervene? Third takeaway is living in expectation. See, I want us to have this image today that because of the work of Jesus, because of his investment, of his movement, we can stand every day at the door. You know that, the, the, this imagery I'm creating. We can stand at the door waiting for a father to come home. Waiting for him to return, waiting for him to pour out his grace. And, and sometimes it feels like to wait longer than others. Sometimes he comes immediately. But the idea is that we're hoping, we're hoping that he's coming. And here's the thing I want you to recognize about hope. We have a wrong understanding. The way we define hope today is more like wishful thinking. I hope my parents give me a car and turn 16. Are they going to give you one? I don't know, but I sure am hoping for it, right? But biblical hope, biblical hope is a much deeper concept. It begins in the same place. It begins, number one, I don't have it up here, but an expectation of the future. An expectation of the future, right? I'm expecting something to come. I'm expecting God to move. There's expectation, something in the future. But true hope then leads to trust in attaining that future. I can trust God. He is good. He is good. He's going to move. He's invested into our relationship. He's going to come home. Right. I can stand there. He is going to come. The third place is the one we wrestle with the most as it relates to biblical hope. The third part is patience while waiting for it. Biblical hope has in mind that I have I know I have patience from God when I wait for this thing I'm expecting. If it's a week, a month, a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever it may be. God I'm living in this hope and expectation of you pouring out wisdom, revelation, of you pouring yourself out, Father God, and enlightening my heart, right, to this, the fullness of knowing you and enlightening my heart to my, to my inheritance that I have and the power that belongs to me and the hope that I have in my calling. God, I don't see it yet. I'm still, right, it's that difference between I'm living in hope, I'm bound I feel bound. I'm overwhelmed. Life's difficult, but I'm defined by hope. My circumstance doesn't define me, even though I'm in it. Right? One of my, can I just give you a pet peeve of mine in charismatic world? I'm going to claim my healing and act like I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I just don't receive that I'm not sick. What? If you're sick, guess what? Jesus knows it. Don't pretend like it's not real. Don't sit there and sue. It's like you're doing It's like witchcraft. If I say it and use the right mantra, it'll be true. No. Go, Jesus, I'm sick. But I praise you and have hope that healing will come. Stop saying things that aren't true. Right? If I'm sick, God, you know that I'm sick. I can pretend like I'm not. I got snot running in my nose. I got a fever of 104. I'm not sick, Jesus. No, you're sick. God. I'm sick, 
But I am expecting, I'm waiting, expecting for healing to come. Because why? The same power that resided in Jesus and raised him from the dead resides in me. And as I pray and I live in expectation of you moving, I know that you will answer. So as I come to the feet of God, right, the fourth one is I have confidence then in God's intervention. I have confidence in God's intervention, even though the situation, I'm looking myself in the mirror, says, I'm sick, but by God's grace, he will move and bring healing, right? I'm praying for these issues over here that are huge, and God, I see them, I name them what they are, but I recognize, God, I'm not defined by them, and my circumstances are defined by what you're going to do, Lord. You are moving in power. You're going to bring breakthrough. Yes, God, this is where I am, but Father, I'm praying and expecting and believing. The message of Paul was one of hope. The message of Paul was, see where you came from, but know what you can expect. Because if he did it here, he will continue to do it again and again. That's why I'm praying. I'm expecting God. I'm expecting. I'm living there saying with confidence and who's going to move. You're going to have wisdom and revelation to know him fully. God's going to enlighten your heart to your hope, to a hope that leads to a calling. It's going to lead to an awakening and an enlightening, right, to the power that belongs to you as one who has an inheritance from Jesus. And God's message this morning is, expect me. If I did it, I will do it every day. Live in expectation. Don't allow a healthy expectation. And Steve, what do I do with all of the ball? And hear this, this is, this is where I'll leave you, okay? This is like your practical piece of take home. So, Steve, I hear, what's, what do I take from the weight of everything that you name that's important? The only weight you pick up are the ones that Jesus actually gave you. All right? He may not call you to go build wells in Africa. Okay. Well, praise God and bless those who go. All right? I will pray for you. I'll encourage you. But I'm only going to do the things I hear Jesus speaking. And so, Father, hear this, right? This is great. God, I got this great ball of weight. I'm not going to pretend like it's not there and just go, woo, I'm great, woo, right? No, God, I've got a great ball of weight of expectation. It's overwhelming me. But I come to you today in confidence, crying out for wisdom and revelation so I can know your will more fully, so I can pick up the things to pick up and lay down the things I need to lay down. And the point, you know what happens in that? All of a sudden you feel free. And then you can run with perseverance the race that God set before you into the very thing that he has for you in the hope and the calling in verse 10, which I let me go back to Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, because when all of a sudden you re, you're released into this and you feel this freedom, verse 10 says, for we are God's workmanship. He's designed us. He's created us. Right. He shaped us and formed us through the power of his will and created in, in, in we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What if I hear Jesus say, this is the thing. And all of a sudden we're free in those. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence. We ask this morning, Jesus, for an awakening and an intervention in our lives and raise us to an expectation of knowing and be able to breathe, God, that when we think about something that we, we believe, like we're longing for and need, that we don't come to you like heavy and like having to breathe hard. We're afraid we're not going to get it, but God, we come in confidence because we know that you're going to meet us. And Lord, you may not come in our timing. 
Like you rarely do. We're impatient and you're not. So you're going to come. You're completely patient with bringing yourself in perfect timing when we need it. So, Father, we ask for grace to step into that level of hope. And I pray, Father, this morning that you would take off the ball of great weight. That you would create this heart that says, yippee, amazing. God, you're good. I live and I don't see it yet, but I know it's coming. And that we would then live in this hope, Jesus. Father, we need you. We long for you. And we ask, Father, that you come this morning, do this work in us. We pray this in your name. Amen.